Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I am your host, Eric Acker. Uh, this week, I am not doing it with Ka- this podcast with Karen. She is taking a little bit of a break. We have a few extenuating circumstances at home that I'm going to get a little bit more into that kind of preclude her from joining me this week. And uh, I do want to start us off by just apologizing. I am recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and usually I have it posted Wednesday morning. And of course, last week we did not post a podcast. So I just want to apologize. I know consistency and regular episodes are generally the key to any successful podcast. And uh, you as a listener tend to, maybe you expect the podcast to be out weekly, and I want to apologize for not being able to really fulfill that this last couple of weeks. We're definitely trying to remedy some of the obstacles there, but um, in either case, um, we had a few kind of things come up this week. So we, as you knew, Karen was pregnant, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We did; She did give birth, so our daughter uh, made her grand appearance on Sunday. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, also, of course, this is the interview season for fourth year medical school. So I do want to talk about the interviews, how they've been going, what's, what's been scheduled, what are we doing looking forward, etc. And then, um, of course, I'm in, I am in elective rotation. So I'm in my third uh, fourth year rotation right now of radiology. We want to talk a little bit more about that and then just kind of cover what's looking forward ahead for us so i guess the most exciting sto- uh, information i mean exciting for me and exciting for us as a family is uh our, our baby daughter was born on sunday in the afternoon and i wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about th- that ordeal uh, so it's uh we we had the prenatal appointment her last prenatal appointment on thursday she was a few days overdue at that point so 40 day 40 weeks plus three days on Thursday. Uh, it was 40 weeks plus six days, I think, on Sunday. Um, and so we we were doing just fine. We got pre-registered at the hospital. We did all the work that we needed to do. And then um, during the, like, it was like Friday, Saturday, she was having a little bit of spotting uh, going into the weekend and uh, doing a quick Google search because uh, medical school didn't really talk too much about uh well, I talked definitely a lot about bleeding in the third trimester, but mostly in relation to like placenta previa or placenta, uh, uterine abruption or uh, placenta abrupta. So a lot of those sort of things. But those are a little bit more like painful, massive amounts of bleeding, etc. And, and this was like spotting, uh, as Karen would would describe it to me. Nothing, not not like period. It's uh, just a little bit of blood here and there, maybe some pink mucusy discharge so nothing to be too concerned about so we didn't really worry about it i know that's a little bit maybe a little bit too much information but hey this is a medical podcast so we're gonna we're gonna try to apply some of our medical knowledge here uh and so we 
weren't too worried about it. And, but then on Sunday morning, he, she was complaining about a little bit of back pain. Uh, she did spend the evening, uh, the night, uh, laying with one of the kids that was having some trouble sleeping. So she was laying on the ground or on a very small mattress that didn't provide a whole lot of support. So she was complaining about some back pain on Sunday morning. And then uh, at some point in the morning, she called me over and said, hey, I seem like I kind of, you know, filled a pad full of blood. And so I looked at it like, oh, that's a lot more bleeding than you've been describing. Uh, And of course, my medical school knowledge kind of kicks in and goes, oh, bleeding in third trimester doesn't equal good results Uh, or doesn't usually equal great things. So it's like, okay, we should just go to the hospital and get you checked out. So we did. Uh, We went to the hospital. We, of course, went to Houston. That's where the midwives uh, deliver at. And that's where where we we registered. So that's where we were going to deliver the baby. So that's where we went for the checkup. Um, So we did the whole process of getting checked in, went to the observation section of the the women's center. And so she was being checked out. And you can kind of get, this is maybe a kind of a forewarning, I don't know most of the audience is medical students, but I think this goes to apply to you as well as any other person working in healthcare. Curtains do not offer <laughs> uh, soundproofing because uh, we could definitely hear the nurse that was that had checked out Karen and had done the initial t- intake and kind of evaluation uh, she was talking on the phone and it was pretty obvious that she thought that we were there for no big deal, that we didn't really have a legitimate concern, that really this was just what they would call, quote unquote, a bloody show, which is essentially when the uh, the cervix is starting to dilate and efface or get thinner. Uh, the, sometimes there's some bleeding involved with that, but nothing to be concerned about. So you can definitely get the impression from the nurse that she, as she was talking on the phone, that really we were there for no apparently good reason. That we should probably just go home. Uh, and you know, there maybe is some truth to that, maybe not. Um, but our midwife, uh, Karen's midwife, anyway, <laughs> was was on call and she came in, checked her out, and it's like, okay, yeah, you're four centimeters dilated, which four centimeters doesn't mean active labor. There was maybe some contractions, but definitely not anything painful or regular. But the midwife was like, eh, why don't, why don't we just go ahead and admit you and start you on Pitocin? I mean, just get this going, just get this party going. You're already like five, six days past your due date. You might as well just go ahead and <laughs> move this thing along. So we, Karen was uh, pretty agreeable to that. I think at this point, Karen has been uh, pretty good at the pregnancy. But this like last week, she was just like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done being pregnant. I want, I want the baby out. It's painful. It's it's annoying. I think the baby was hitting some of the nerves and causing one of her legs to like go numb. Uh, so anyway, uh, she was very uh, amicable to this idea, and so we got moved over to the uh, the laboring center uh, portion of the the hospital. And so that's where she got hooked up on pitocin. And this is maybe the other side of things. Like so, as much as that intake nurse was kind of friendly with us, but definitely could hear her kind of belittling us and a little bit like that we were just some kind of crazy parents who came in for no apparent reason and <laughs> such you know because you you will hear this you will get this from a lot of uh hospitals and especially everyone has a different threshold of pain and so some women will come in 
thinking that they're in full-blown labor when they're like two centimeters dilated they've had a contraction once every 20 minutes and it's not no big deal we're not even close to labor and a lot of times the nurses will kind of wave you off or medical professionals will kind of go oh whatever no big deal you're just being a big baby and i think sometimes this is where we get some of the uh differences in outcomes in healthcare because i mean there's so much subjective so subjectivity to uh especially labor and delivery <laughs> so many things that are different between one woman and the next like you will of course have the hollywood stereotypical woman screaming i hate you you did this to me in the labor room and then you will have people who uh, don't seem to be faced at all by the contractions. <laughs> and so you have wildly varying degrees of uh, people who come in. And I, I mean, I definitely felt like the saturation of an entire pad of, with blood was warranting enough to come into the hospital. And it wasn't just like, oh, just a little bit of just a little bit of pink stuff. It was you know it was bright red blood so like i thought that it was worth at least being checked out so so to kind of be told that oh you're just being overreactive is kind of a eh, okay <laughs> I, I, at least you know in my my opinion say better safe than sorry you know like at least treat us like that um but Karen is also kind of a unique individual in that she tends to progress in her labor very quickly and so Having been started on a little bit of Pitocin, she started having contractions more and more regular. Um, I mean, they just had to up the dose of Pitocin, I think, up to eventually up to five. It was like one for like a half an hour, then it moved up to uh, three, and that stayed there for like an over an hour. And then they moved up to five, and that's when Karen was like, let's go ahead and get me the epidural. <laughs> and... And the entire time, like, she's having these contractions. She's not, like, screaming and yelling. She's just, like, you. if I'm holding her hand, I can just feel her grip tighten during the contraction and then loosen. And that, that was essentially all she was having. And she did end up getting her epidural. Um, so the anesthesiologist and nurse anesthetician comes in, uh, provides her with the epidural. I, I had to leave the room during this point. Apparently, that's a policy for the hospital is that, the uh, spouses are not allowed in the room when the epidural is being placed. Um, that's a different and more unique uh, situation than all the other children we have had that Karen has had an epidural I was always in the room for and never saw any real issue why I couldn't be in there. But, you know, whatever, hospital policy, I'm not going not gonna to fight it. But they, I guess they got her hooked up on the epidural and she was having more and more contractions and the delivery nurse uh, goes ahead and checks to see how things are going down there. And, oh, you're at 10. You're at 10 centimeters, which, if, uh, again, medical school, you know, from 6 to 10 is the active labor portion. And then you're in, like, 10 is, like, you're ready to start going. And it just so happened our midwife had decided to come back to the hospital because you know, nobody was delivering for her at that time but she knew karen was admitted and on pitocin so she decided to just stop in and see how things were going and just so happened that it was perfectly timed that she's like oh you're at 10 let's <laughs> let's get herself set up for a delivery here uh so they started doing that and of course she let the nurse know to go ahead and get me out of the waiting room to bring me back in because hey we're going to start pushing out a baby husband probably should be in the room um so that and that all worked out pretty good and, and i should also point out that 
the delivery nurse that we had that was kind of there from when Karen got into the delivery room until we went to the postpartum section of the hospital. She was uh, an outstanding person. She she was herself, I think, pregnant as well. And uh, she knew some of the former students that we had worked with. Uh, I think they were part of the uh, LDS community. But she was very nice, very sweet. Um, and she took really good care of us. And we're very grateful for all that. Uh, so we, you know, Karen delivers the baby. And again, like she wasn't screaming or yelling. <laughs> she wasn't, uh, she wasn't having a lot of uh, problems. And, you know, I think a lot of that's, think, you know, thanks to the epidural. But like she progressed from four to 10, all without having crazy amounts of pain. And again, like, you know, some people might go, oh, well, you don't, you're obviously not in that much pain. So we don't need to be really worried about you. And you know, Karen's being a little bit different that you should continue to <laughs> check her periodically to make sure she's not uh, progressing faster than you think just based off of her reaction to birthing a child. Um, in either case, <laughs> um, there's definitely some things that it helps, you know, as a medical student, uh, a little bit of medical knowledge. I don't have any intention in going into OBGYN. And I definitely have no intention into going into pediatrics as of this time. Um, but definitely learn some things along the way because you have to. <laughs> you do these rotations. These are core rotations. So uh, Karen had come in GBS positive, uh, which I think a significant number of women are GBS positive. And uh, they were, she was on penicillin when she got in. And they were, you know, trying to get her to that second dose. Uh, and those are maybe miscommunication on my, you know, what I was understanding, what they were doing versus what was but in either case they they had her at least on one bag of penicillin g and then when she started pushing deliver the baby that's when they hung the second bag so the second bag was basically not really administered um so that kind of bought us the the 48 hour rule you know the protocol of you at the kind of watch and monitor the baby for 48 hours and really we're going to watch and monitor the baby for a week uh, for possible GBS related uh, meningitis or infections that could manifest uh, at least the early onsets. So a little bit of thing that you learn a little bit in medical school and you're just going to see in real life. Uh, we definitely tried to get out of there earlier from the hospital because for us, hospital stays aren't exactly enjoyable uh you get checked on every couple seems like every 30 minutes or every hour and so you never really get a whole lot of rest before one more person has entered the room and is either taking your wife's blood pressure or checking the baby and the baby is going to end up screaming <laughs> so no one's going to sleep um so the hospital for us is never really a very relaxing environment uh but so we tried we tried getting out as early as we could, but the pediatrician, which is somebody I rotated with, uh, was Dr. Doss, and he uh, he thought about it, and then he looked at the records and was like, "Yeah, you didn't get the two doses of penicillin. Got to get those two doses in order to really kind of feel confident that the GBS has been managed or at least dealt with in a way that minimizes the risk for uh, complications." And since we didn't quite get to that second dose, we we got to stay the whole 48 hours. So, you know, 
so we live and learn, I guess. Um, other parts that uh, you learn as a medical student, especially in the OBGYN, is part of the delivery. Post, you know, post baby delivery is the placenta delivery, and so of course I, I was paying attention when the placenta was delivered, and the midwife did a good job looking it over and making sure it was intact, which is, you know, oh, well, okay, intact, that's good. That means nothing should be left behind. But the midwife was like, well, I felt something when I was looking around, and so she pulled out a little bit of placenta, and she was like, huh, and she's bleeding pretty good. So another thing I, I didn't know, but apparently if you have a full bladder, <laughs> you can't. Uh, that can also prevent the uterus from contracting down which is what you want in order to stop bleeding and other things so so the bladder was drained and bleeding wasn't quite under control as of that point so the midwife was still suspecting after getting a little bit more of a history that karen had had previous we had previous pregnancies that she had been bleeding significant periods after delivery uh, up to like six weeks after delivery, Karen was still having bleeding issues. <laughs> and so the the midwife was, okay, uh, well, I poured out a little bit of uh, a piece of placenta a minute ago. So she kept kind of going back in there and she was pulling out huge chunks of placenta. And again, like we looked at the placenta, the placenta looked intact. It looked like it was a complete placenta, but yet there were still lots of placenta pieces inside the uterus. So it was a, an interesting thought, you know, like how, how often does this happen? I mean, it's what, what made this more unique? I don't, I don't have an answer for any of that, but the, the midwife did a very good job, very thorough on kind of going back in there, making sure everything was out, being very thorough. And then, um, is you had a few stitches as a lot of women do as you do some women do tear uh and karen has torn in the past and that just kind of increases your risk for tearing in the future um so a little bit of sutures um uh, and all the while thankfully the epidural was still going you know which made i think karen's life a lot easier so in either case that was uh that was more or less the birthing so it was really it wasn't a horror horrible birth i am I would say like in a top two, uh, Judah being one of the best deliveries that Karen had. Uh, it was very relaxed environment when we had Judah, and I felt like it was in the similar vein that this midwife was very relaxed and in control. It wasn't chaotic. Um, yeah, it was a very uh, non-dramatic birth, honestly. <laughs> um, the baby came out. She immediately started crying. She got cleaned up and evaluated real quick and then given back to Karen. Um, so all in all, very uneventful birth, which was kind of good for us. I mean, everyone wants an uneventful birth, honestly. Uh, so we spent some a couple of days in the hospital. The only real differences that we kind of experienced, um, Peace Health, where we delivered our other four children, they tended to uh, let you keep the baby with you at all times. So if any testing was done, it was done in the room with you. And then... Uh, if they like blood work and uh, cardiac testing, uh, all that stuff was all done in the room with you. You didn't after delivered. Usually, like they would help the mom go to the bathroom after delivery, and in that time, like they would change over the room, and so you basically had a delivery room that transformed into a postpartum room, and you just stayed in the same place. Um, that was what Peace Health did. Houston, uh, I think, does a more uh, what I I found is a little bit more traditional where you have a laboring and delivery room 
and then you move on to a postpartum room in a different section of the hospital and uh, that that's where you do your postpartum and then you discharge from there. And so, I, I mean, I, back in Washington, Legacy uh, Salmon Creek Hospital did that, which is part of the reason why we kind of avoided Legacy Salmon Creek, not because they didn't provide good care. We just, we liked the, we, if, you know, if, we ha- if we had a preference, we liked the deliver, labor and deliver in one area and do postpartum in one area because moving from one place to the next isn't always the most enjoyable. It wasn't terrible, honestly, having now experienced it, but still not the most enjoyable thing. Um, that was really one big difference. And then, of course, all the testing that we did at Houston, they kind of took the baby out of the room, which was kind of weird because <laughs> you're kind of now used to having this baby that's, you know, born and having him in the room with you the entire time. And now the baby is gone for like an hour or two. <laughs> and then it comes back to you. And that that's some, and that's definitely different. Um, not something I particularly, I don't think we really love that aspect, but it wasn't the worst either. Um, otherwise, I mean, everything was good. Uh, more or less, everything was very similar. You have all the different people come by, the lactation specialist, the pediatrician, the OBGYN, everyone's got to sign you off. And then, of course, there's the nurses, there's the nutrition people. Uh, there's a whole, you know, always a, a long list of people who kind of come and leave your room. And they're all there to take care of, it. well, Karen and the baby. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm just the husband, you know, <laughs> in this process. I'm there to help fill out paperwork and um, take over, hold the baby for times when Karen needs a little bit of a break or needs to go to the bathroom or whatever. Um, my job is generally answer questions, fill out paperwork. Um, I'm not trying to minimize uh, or like say that I'm, yeah, I don't know. It, husband's jobs vary, I think, from each family, but like I try to be as helpful as I can, but obviously I do not have the equipment to feed a baby and I do not have. Um, yeah, I just don't have the equipment to feed a baby, which is what generally the baby needs. And I can change a diaper, so I'll do that. And I'll fill out the paperwork, the logs that, you know, the baby, you know, ate 20 minutes on the left side, moved on to the right side, and the 15, I'll, I'll fill all that stuff out. But, you know, I can't, I can't really feed the baby unless we're going to do bottle feeding. So, anywho, that was the, our ordeal. I know I spent a good amount of time just talking about that. Um, Kind of moving on to the kind of next topic is what's what's going on with our interviews. This is of course the Eva's season or the interview season for Match. Um, we definitely have had um, a kind of like this spigot was on for a little bit there, where we were getting a good number of interviews, and now it's basically turned off. And you know, I, I sent out a hundred and eighty something interviews, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we we are we are in the rejection season, <laughs> so I still have interviews scheduled. So um, I had I've I've completed three interviews. I have, still have seven interviews to do. So I have ten interviews total. So that's a that was really kind of the benchmark and my goal I really wanted for this cycle. And I'm glad I'm really thankful and glad to have it. Um, obviously, that means you know if I have ten. Out of 180, we're going to get quite a few rejection emails. And there's certainly a number of uh, locations that we signal that we haven't heard back from. And there's actually some, you know, there's of course lots of applications that are out there that we haven't heard back from either. So uh, we are definitely getting our fair share of rejection emails, which, you know, 
it's to be expected. Not everyone's going to want you. I think I spoke a couple of weeks ago about how there's an advantage to my personal statement of where I talk about how family and how many kids we had, uh, which is not generally information that the programs would be privy to uh, through just a general interview, but I'm putting that out there. So that's something that programs can consider if they want to deal with a person with a family, if they are a family friendly program for whatever that means. You know, obviously uh, when I say family friendly, I don't mean, that they give special favors and special privileges to people with families. But what I mean is that they understand that people have families and they kind of work with you as best they can, or they provide an environment that adds support to the families so that the families can still function. Um, like the spouse will have support and <laughs> you know the kids will have a community to be involved in while the husband like myself is able or this wife whichever it might be is able to perform their duties as a resident because you know we it wouldn't be fair to let's say a single resident to have a married resident with a family have less hours because he's a he's married like that doesn't that wouldn't be fair to them but a program that would at least understand some flexibility that I'm still working the same hours still doing the same work um, I'm not sure. I mean, if what, whatever that is, at least ones that are receptive to it, or at least don't see it as a disadvantage. Because there's definitely programs out there who I think see families as uh, disadvantages and like, oh, well, they're going to distract you. They're going to keep you from studying. They're going to keep you from becoming a great resident. So we'd rather not have the residents that have the automatic distractions. And maybe these programs that are more family friendly are going to go, we understand that they can cause obstacles and they can cause uh, difficulties because families, you know, they have, that's like, you know, for me, that's six other people that uh, schedules in life that I have to kind of work with and we have to make balances and uh, work out between uh, doctor's appointments and whatever other events that we do. And, of course, my duties as a resident, so there's going to be some balance. But just like in medical school, there was plenty of times there was tests, there was classes, there was activities I had to do, and we made it work. We talked about it, communicated, and worked out a plan. You know, that you go back to our podcast, you, you know, maybe a year or so ago, we talked about... Uh, you know, my schedule of Monday through Saturday, studying, working, and Sunday was, you know, reserved for family. And I'm sure when we get into residency, we'll figure out a schedule and there's going to be a day where this is just family. And, you know, as it, as it allows, obviously there are some programs that work you more than seven days in a row, but, uh, we will, we will figure out a routine and something that will make it work. That's kind of the the joy yeah, that's kind of the process that we're going to work on but again there's some programs that see families as um too much of an obstacle and i get i might maybe i'm getting selected out of those ones i don't know no one has said and i really don't know one way or another but it is just the way it is um but like i said we still have uh, a total total of ten interviews. Uh, I do have one tomorrow, so I do after I get off of this podcast and do all my edits, I'll just start working on uh, review and um, some of my work, my pre work before I interview. Um, this one's gonna be a little bit trickier because a lot of times I try to find out as much as I can about the program, about who I'm interviewing with, and so I can ask good questions. And this particular program really doesn't have a lot of online presence. 
Um, they don't really have a lot of information on the website about the program, so it does make it a lot trickier to really dig in and find out <laughs> what, what this program is all about. Um, so, but I mean, it does open up a lot of uh, a lot of time for questions, I guess. So we, we will see. We will see how it goes. Um, uh, I'm taking every interview as an opportunity. Try to keep an open mind as to like, is this program going to be a good fit? Uh, and not just judge them based on the location that they're at or whatnot. Because every I think every program offers a little bit of a unique. Um, they, they offer something unique that, to the applicant and is this one going to be a good fit I don't know I'll find out tomorrow uh, so that's what we got we got two more interviews next week um, and the other thing I, I'm thinking about I, I've gotten on to Karen will roll her eyes at this but uh, Reddit has of course the interview season and has they have spreadsheets and they have a discord server uh, and where people can talk about the interview invites they've gotten, the rejections and questions they've gotten, how many slot interview slots are available. A whole host of information can be found on these Discord servers uh, or the spread spreadsheets, whichever you typically, whichever you click on. Um, one of the things that has come up is the letter of intent, <laughs> and this is, you know, we ha I, we've had Seth Elu on, and he did emergency medicine. And um, when he finally got his second slow, which is important for emergency medicine, he had to reach out to some of these programs and say, hey, I have this slow. Please take a look at it. I'm really interested in your program. And so it was kind of a mixture of he had new information that was being added to the EROS system that programs would have to go back into EROS and read, you know, and download. And also sending, you know, it was kind of a combination of that plus letter of intent. Um, so for him, it seems like it had worked out. He got a good number of interviews post uh, that second slow, which was, again, very important for emergency medicine. Uh, I don't think it's as important for the programs I'm applying for, but I don't know. There's a, at least a couple programs, and one, one of which I rotated that, where I feel like maybe there is an opportunity to send them a letter of intent. Uh, and probably try, you know, try to nudge them towards giving me an interview because it would be, it's, it's one of the ones I signaled. It's it's one that I would like to go to. I really enjoyed working there, uh, and it's a little, um, honestly, uh, somewhat frustrating to have spent a week there and felt like you made a really good impression on everybody, and they still haven't sent you an invite. <laughs> it kind of makes you feel like, man, did I? Did I really screw up that bad? Like, did I do a bad job? I thought I did okay. I know it was my first audition and everything, so I don't know. Um, we will, we will see. Uh, we might decide. We might decide to send that letter of intent and see if we can get a ball rolling or at least get a notification that they they've moved on from us um, or myself. And so I don't know. Um, as far as letters of intent go, from what I can tell on the Reddit Discord server, that people have been using them. Uh, there was one individual. I don't. I don't know who everyone has usernames, but one ind particular individual had mentioned like he had like a, a a rate of success of like one out of eight. Like he had sent it off to like eight programs, and only one had really responded favorably to it. Most of them had just basically said they won't be considered uh, as part of the <laughs> review process. So uh, take it with a grain of salt. It, it could, I don't know if it could hurt you, but I don't, it doesn't sound like it offers much benefit. Uh, so that's something to consider. But again, I think it, 
for everyone's situation, it's going to be different. Like if you're sitting at the interview cycle and you have only gotten one interview, <laughs> you've gotten none or whatever it might be, like lower than your goal, it might be worth sending out a few letters of intent to programs you've applied to or apply to more programs before the deadline completes and see if you can snag a few interviews that way. Um, yeah, because in the end, you just don't want to not match. You want to definitely match somewhere. Uh, that's, I don't have any real expertise on it. That's just kind of the, the, the knowledge I can glean from the internet and I can glean from just everything. It's that letter of intent. It doesn't seem to hurt you, but it doesn't seem to offer much of a benefit either. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, let's see our rotation currently. So we are, like I said, third rotation. Uh, I am doing a radiology rotation for four weeks. I am in the third week. Uh, and usually when I say radiology rotation, I've gotten a lot of people who are like, oh, so you just look at like x-rays of arms and legs and you just go over those x-rays. And it's like, well, no, I mean, we, we have seen, I think I have seen arms, arms and legs, but most of the most of the imaging we've been going over is brain MRIs and CT scans and PET CTs and a lot of the a lot of brain spine. Uh, occasionally, we'll get some abdominal CTs, um, and then occasionally we'll get uh, something more exotic like a a DAT scan. I think he's more for Parkinson's, or Parkinsonian like syndromes, and we're just really going through. I mean, a lot of it is anatomy. <laughs> you're going through the brain structures and the the blood supplies, and you're just you're going through different algorithms essentially to how to look for lesions, abnormalities, and once you've found them, how do you know if they're relevant or not relevant? Uh, so we're going through a lot of different things. We're learning quite a bit from this particular guy and it sounded like he actually wrote the book on uh some of these scans on how to how to interpret some of these scans so it's pretty pretty nice to have him uh in involved in our teaching because he's very smart and he's very friendly very personable and um as much as it's it's been it's been really a godsend to have this for this time period because you know we just had a baby we have a lot more flexibility it's a lot more flexible to do a two three hour zoom call every day versus i have to go in at you know seven o'clock in the morning don't get back until five uh that kind of rotation would be a little bit harder i think on karen <laughs> Uh, and thankfully, like again, we have this week we have my mom, and this week and last week we had my mom in town, and that's been a big help. And I really appreciated her coming and helping us with the kids. And so, as she gets ready to go back home, hopefully we'll be back in a good spot with a family rotation back, and everyone's kind of recovering. And <laughs> so, this rotation has been really good for that. But even though it is three hours Zoom, it doesn't mean like you do three hours and you're done. You do have to do some study and you do have to look at stuff later and read up on things because he's going to ask you questions that he hasn't necessarily taught you yet. And so you got to have some idea of what's going on. And it's tricky because anatomy, uh, I don't think, has historically been a high... Um, this is going to sound weird for someone who is interested in orthopedics and stuff like that when you say anatomy hasn't been a strong suit. But, I mean, honestly, like neuroanatomy and neurosciences have been uh, definitely something that's hard, harder for me. And I've been working at it and trying to get better at it. 
And so just recognizing different patterns and structures is I'm, I've been definitely getting a lot better with this rotation. This is something I definitely needed. So I've been looking forward to it. Um, I guess looking forward. Uh, uh, so we have one more week of radiology. So once I do this week and I finish off next week, uh, radiology is like one of the only fourth year electives you actually cap it off with an exam. Uh, an oral exam essentially and it's pretty informal from what I can tell from previous weeks they've done he's uh, done oral exams with the other people and basically those people who are wrapping it up like who is that's the last day he has them answer all the questions uh, either via text or they just say it on the, on the thing and he's tabulating quote unquote a score and you just have to get above a th certain threshold and you basically passed uh, and he's he seems pretty lenient, and the test is uh, very much a uh, what what comes in that day is what will be what will be reviewed, and and what will be quizzed on. So you really don't you can't be like oh you got to know a little bit about breast uh, modalities, you got to know a little bit about brain and spine and this and that. Like you could just get hit with all PET scans that day, and so you're just going to be hit with all sorts of different questions about PET scans. Like what's the what's the isotope that's used in the PET scan? What's the modality and blah blah blah. So you you can't really just you can't uh, there's really no quick and easy way to study. You just kind of have to do all the work and um, so that that's what we have next week <laughs> for radiology anyway. And then of course we have um, our two interviews. We have the interview tomorrow. Um, and then we have two more interviews next week, and those should be interesting. One of them <laughs> includes a morning report and an afternoon lecture as part of the interview process, uh, as well as, a, I think, a 20-minute a or 30-minute uh, interview with the program director. So I suspect morning report and the <laughs> afternoon lecture were going to be asked questions and uh, we're going to be judged a little bit based off of that, uh, which is a little nerve-wracking. I, I did reach out to the program and ask them if they could give me an idea of what the topics are, and they have not gotten back to me. So uh, I'm just going to have to review some of my algorithms and hope I don't look too stupid. Um, this is definitely a program I want to try to impress, uh, but we're, I want to impress all the programs, to be honest. But like being quizzed, make, you, you definitely don't want to look stupid. Um, so we have that next week. Um, we are, of course, of course, prepping for those interviews on top of everything else. You uh, have that kind of ritualistic prep work that I do for all the interviews just so that I can ask intelligent questions and uh, I can be a little bit more oriented and then try to, you know, try to do it to it so I can be a little excited for the program going into it. And then there is also a, a subsection of my applications that I sent for EVAS that um, I believe it's next week. That's they'll actually start getting a whole. I, I'm getting, getting a bunch of rejection letters anyway. Um, now we'll find out that subsection of applications I sent out are also going to be you know whether I get offered interviews for those ones or if I get more rejection letters. So that all will happen on Monday. <laughs> so looking forward to that. Uh, I think that's going to be bittersweet. Who knows what's going to happen. But And in regards to that, if I get any uh, invites out of those those very few applications, then maybe 
maybe uh, you know, I'll have to do a little bit of studying because I, I've heard a lot of times you when you, if you get an, an invite for one of those, you get uh, pimped as well. So there's always there's always more work to be done. And then lastly, I I was able to ascertain my next rotation is going to be in cardiology. So I will be also preparing for that because <laughs> I like cardiology, but. Uh, it doesn't always come second nature. A lot of the ECGs and stuff like that, I can get you can kind of get rusty if you haven't done them in a little while, and so I kind of want to get back and brush up on some of that stuff. So that's kind of what I'll be doing next week as well, is brushing up on a lot of stuff, preparing for interviews and preparing for the radiology final. So we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, I know it, it, maybe maybe I'm silly for doing all that, but. My mentality is, is that if you brush up on it and you're kind of up to speed as much as you can, then you're going to learn a whole lot more. You're going to get a lot more out of the rotation than if you have to basically spend the first week or two recovering any lost ground that you have and trying to recover any any uh, deficiencies from your preceptor who's going to look at you like, man, you're a fourth year? Are you sure? Uh, so that's my mentality going into it. We're, we'll hopefully make some headway. But... Uh, again, I really appreciate you guys uh, being understanding of us not having a podcast out next uh, last week and being a little late this week. Uh, I, of course, uh, if you want to send us a message on uh, Instagram, MedFamilyMD, Karen is kind of the one looking at it. I know a few people have sent stuff through that. So again, you can send us stuff on MedFamilyMD on Instagram. You can like and rate us on any of the podcasting uh, sites that you use so spotify stitcher amazon apple podcast um, whatever it is uh, we are probably on it so you can follow us on there rate us if the platform allows you to rate us we always appreciate that um, we hope you have a good week and we will talk to you next week bye